Okay, well, hello everyone and welcome to our next um, edition of 15 Minutes on Health Inequalities. And today we're going to be talking to Andy Baxter about some work that he recently published looking at the impacts of the English teenage pregnancy strategy. Andy, would you like to say hello? Hello, hi, I'm Andy. Uh, I'm a fourth year PhD student right now at the University of Glasgow and in the Social and Public Health Sciences Unit. Um, and my whole PhD topic is looking at this question of uh, teenage pregnancy prevention. Well, fantastic to be speaking to you today, Andy. And so I'm Anna Pierce. I'm also based at the Social and Public Health Sciences Unit. And with me, we have... Hi, I'm Alistair Leyland from the same unit. So Andy, just wanted to start off by asking you, what was your central question and why was it important to answer? Yeah, well, in this paper, um, it was looking at the England's teenage pregnancy strategy, uh, which was a huge intervention that was launched in 1999 uh, and continued for 10 years. Um, and it looked at uh, ways of preventing pregnancy, put those into action across the 10 years. They spent uh, an estimated £280 million on trying to achieve it uh, and did actually see quite a drop in teenage pregnancies across that period. Um, and my project is looking at what are the potential causes of teenage pregnancy, uh, and we wanted to look at this uh, very big uh, potential explanation of that uh, huge drop in teenage pregnancies and try and uh, look at it and evaluate what was the effect of the strategy. Can you tell us a bit more about what the English teenage pregnancy strategy entailed? Yeah, so the English teenage pregnancy strategy, um, in a lot of ways, it was build as quite unique and new holistic uh, big scaled approach um, one of the, the big words that they want that they used to describe is joined up action uh, between national and local implementation and that took a lot of uh, factors to do that there was a new teenage pregnancy unit established from the launch in the report in 1999 um, lots of local authorities then brought on uh, teenage pregnancy prevention um, workers, uh, local strategy conveners. Uh, that played out in a lot of the um, section relationships education that went uh, on throughout England over the next, over the following 10 years. Um, contraception provision was tried to be better upscaled uh, to give kids more access to the contraception they were learning about. Uh, and also other uh, huge countrywide focuses such as media campaigns and other awareness raising things. So it was a huge kind of concerted effort uh, across the whole country, uh, more spending in more high rate areas as well through local implementation grants and all with that big aim of 10 years uh, reducing pregnancies amongst teenagers by 50% by 2010. And there have been a few evaluations of the teenage pregnancy strategy. Why do it again? How is your evaluation different from the others? Yes, yeah, so the, there is two key evaluations of it. Uh, one was in the, the middle of the strategy, um, published in 2005, looked at those early years of the strategy. Uh, and they found that the pre-strategy pregnancy rate amongst under 18s, which is the target, was about 44.3 pregnancies per 1,000 young women. Uh, and in the first few years of the strategy, they saw a 2% decrease every year. Uh, which is well below what they needed to achieve that 50% goal. So the first report on the strategy 
um, about halfway through, was not very positive about the outlook of where it was going. Uh, but then fast forward to after the end of the strategy, uh, and an evaluation looked at the whole strategy period and a few years after, and found that actually there was a 51% drop in under 18 pregnancies between the 1998 uh, level just before the start of it uh, and 2014 just after the end of it. So it looked like something that hadn't started well had actually managed to achieve um, all of that in the 10 years. But there are a few questions and criticisms about that finding and that that 51% wasn't really uh, accounting for anything that might have been going on in England besides the strategy. Maybe there was other downward trends or global changes that were affecting pregnancy rates at the same time and how much of that 51% can be attributed uh, to what the strategy's effects are. So my um, a approach to this was to look at ways of comparing England with other countries uh, and as highlighted by the evaluators in the first place, that was very difficult to do because you have to find almost a perfect match for England somewhere else that didn't have a strategy and see what the difference was there. So see you've um, applied two different statistical approaches in the paper. So an interrupted time series analysis and a synthetic control analysis. What are the key differences between these two approaches and why use them both? Well, an interrupted time series analysis, um, certainly the way I was doing it, uh, is imagining if you have a graph that's showing the teenage pregnancy rates as dots across the years going up and down each year. Uh, and you imagine before the strategy, looking how you can fit a straight line to explain where the, where the pregnancy rates are going, and then fit another straight line afterwards to see where they're going when the strategy is being launched. Uh, and if you imagine back to high school when you're trying to put straight lines on a page, uh, is the gradient steeper or is it going lower during the strategy period than it was before? And is that difference helping us to see what the strategy started to do? Uh, and that's a little bit kind of intuitively what was done in those first analyses when they saw there's a little bit of an upward slope coming up to 1999 then a big bit of a downward slope straight afterwards. So that looks like potentially there's something being affected there, but you can then compare that to other countries and see what their slopes are. Synthetic control, on the other hand, um, is looking at a, a wider range of countries uh, and seeing that they're not all uh, like England at all. Some have very high rates, some have very low, but you can use mathematical methods to combine those and create a, a weighted mean of other countries' rates to, first of all, match and see how closely you can predict uh, pretend England in the pre-strategy period in the 90s, and then use that same method to predict what a, a, a an England without a strategy would have done in the years afterwards. So the, the key things about interrupted time series was it was able to, if I could find countries that were really closely matched to England, could try to do those straight lines and see what happened. But if I wanted to look at a bigger range of countries, uh, for example, across Europe or other English speaking countries, then I would maybe try to use in this in the synthetic control, more data driven approach to finding what's a good comparator for England there. What brought about this paper was if we can use two results, uh, two methods on two different data sets, we can triangulate and see, do they back each other up? Are they contradicting one another? Uh, are they coming up with the same answer? And that can help us see how confident we can be and what the comparisons are. Okay, so looking at the interrupted time series uh, where you compared England to Wales and Scotland, what were your main findings? 
Well, the first finding was when I fitted the lines using only England, only England observations, um, it did seem to rather confirm what I'd seen before. Uh, so from the very top ray that England saw was in 1998, uh, where they had um, 46 pregnancies, or 47 pregnancies per 1,000 women in 1998. And then the most recent year I was able to look at at the time, in 2016, it had fallen uh, by 60% down to about 18, 19 pregnancies per 1,000 women. So in the England-only data, um, that looked quite positive. That would be, if you imagine a, a school that has 100 girls aged 15 to 17, if they went through school in 1999, uh, you'd expect to see five of them become pregnant that year, whereas if they went through a school in 2016, you'd expect to only see two of them become pregnant that year. So that was quite a big change over that period. But then what I then did was look at Scotland and Wales uh, and the comparisons that they saw over that period and how much their, the gradient of their lines changed. And I saw that Scotland and Wales had also seen quite a big shift in pregnancies. Now, if you take those rates from Scotland and Wales and assume that that's what would have happened in England without the strategy, then actually what you see is all three countries followed a very, very similar pattern. And the interrupted time series seems to show that what happened in England would have happened without the strategy because it was some other things that were affecting all of the UK. Okay, and for the um, synthetic control method, um, where you compared England to other high income countries, what did you find? Did you have similar findings or, or did you actually discover something new using this method? Well, once again, it was interesting that doing the comparison to all the countries, I found very, very similar findings again, and it was able to fit a very close predicted line. Uh, that followed England and Wales throughout the strategy period and seemed to again show that compared with a, a number of countries, England and Wales saw a very normal uh, reduction, the same as, as everyone else. In the comparison countries, I was trying to include some European countries, high income countries that were English speaking countries around the world and included Scotland in that as well. And it did seem that the English speaking countries were the ones that had that were closer to England at the start, they were all the ones that had very high rates. And so the model borrowed some from the rates of um, a few English-speaking countries and a few other European countries and fitted a very close predictor, which seemed to show that if England had done the same as the USA, New Zealand, Scotland, Portugal and Iceland, which was not launch a strategy, then again, they would have followed that same pattern as if England as England did see when they did launch the strategy. So both methods seem to back each other up and show that um, there is no further benefit from spending that £280 million revamping everything and putting a 10-year strategy in place. So as you've mentioned, there were lots of different components to the English strategy and those changed over time. But do you think or do you feel able to say from your analysis that there maybe were elements that were more effective? Well, from this analysis alone, it's it's hard to pick out um, what might have been good and bad to have in place. Uh, one key thing about the teenage pregnancy strategy that I haven't looked at in this paper was that uh, they looked to support young parents um, in getting uh, into education and employment and not being excluded from society. Um, and so there's a there might be some very good things that were in that part of the strategy, 
within the prevention part, um, it does seem, I think, from in other cases that the elements that, are, that they were funding and upscaling were all quite crucial elements to have in a national teenage pregnancy prevention framework. Uh, later observations of when, um, in certain circumstances, when it, uh, sex education is taken away from kids, um, they're the chance of getting pregnant or engaging in risk behaviours goes up. So it seems to be if it's not there, then that's a problem. If it is there, then that's sufficient. And scaling it up is not necessarily going to uh, produce results at the scale that's being scaled up. So I would say there's certainly maybe evidence that these things were right to be in place in the first place, but what they were replacing in 1999 might have already been achieving all that could be done through that um, those approaches. So for countries which have high teenage pregnancy rates, what would be your policy recommendations? Well, I think then I should probably start from a, a better look at why teenagers might be getting pregnant. Is it just that they have no access to contraceptives or they don't know how to use them or that they're not they're not motivated to avoid pregnancy? And maybe with best intentions and whilst respected teenage girls, not all pregnancies are preventable in the end. Maybe some of them uh, have planned or intended pregnancies and therefore giving out all the contraceptives in the world is not going to reduce their likelihood of getting pregnant. Um, there is certainly more of a policy focus more recently on supporting teenage mothers and teenage parents even after they're getting pregnant uh, and not making that the problem to avoid. And that, I think that's particularly uh, the highlight of the the recent relationship sexual health and parenthood resource in Scotland is really substituting in uh, mentions of pregnancy for mentions of parenthood and trying to see that as more of a uh, of a thing that can be helped and provided for and seen as a norm rather than a problem to be solved. Yeah, thank you. Um, as you'll know, we always finish the podcast with the question, what are the implications of this for health inequalities? One positive thing I think that we can see from these observations is that uh, pregnancies have come down over that period and do appear to still be dropping even after the strategy was finished. Uh, and maybe that's reflecting a positive change in young women taking control of their lives. Um, there's still quite a number of inequalities associated with teen teenage parenthood and there's more teenagers in deprived areas that are becoming parents. In Scotland, in the most recent ISD report, um, teenagers in the most deprived areas were 15 times more likely to have a baby than in the least deprived areas. And I think the maybe best future action will look at the upstream causes of this um, inequalities and how teenagers are becoming parents, uh, but also the structure of society that unfairly treats teenage mothers, because there's likely a, a number of things we can do uh, to prevent the effects of being a teenage mother on the outcome, output of health inequalities. I think it's likely that in future approaches to teenage pregnancy and health, then it better to we change our attention to the uh, social determinants of pregnancy in the first place, but then also uh, the, the causal mediators that might lead between becoming pregnant and health outcomes. Well, thanks, Andy. I think it's nice to finish on a positive note and also with a focus upstream. I think we're all big fans of that. Um, so I think it just remains for us to say thank you for talking to us today. It's been really interesting. And um, as always, the link 
to the paper and um, the details of everybody involved in the podcast today are um, detailed alongside the um, recording. Um, so yes, thank you, Andy, and thank you to our listeners, and we hope to see you next time.